The subject for the evening talk is a heart-filled life, which of course is a theme which is running and will be running through the days of our time here together. Um, Quite often, both uh, in general day-to-day circumstances as uh, well as here, it can occur that the heart in life perhaps takes a lower place in our priorities than it should. And we're not always fully aware and cognizant to the degree that the heart does take a secondary or third place. And one of the features of our our culture that we live in that we have given such priority to other areas and particularly to um, knowledge, information and um, methodology that we neglect the heart. And this can show itself in the day-to-day life as forms of pursuit of information, expertise, expertise. And what often goes with it is a kind of basic question that runs through, which we give a great deal of significance to. And it often starts off with, how to? How do I? And we have incredible and perhaps an exaggerated faith in the how to. It carries itself not only in the um, mechanical, uh, technological, cerebral world that we move through, but It carries into other areas, into the field of mind-body work, psychotherapy, meditation, spirituality. And it's as though in our day-to-day life, and perhaps here too, we are looking for the methodology which will provide the solution to any disturbances to anything which we're not handling very well. And we can think and believe that there has to be a method to cure this, to resolve this, to finish with this, to start this, to live better, clearly, mindfully, expensively, heartfully, or whatever. And the how-to How do I let go of my fears? How do I um, become more loving? How do I clear my mind? How do I um, realize truth? How do I, how do I, mantra-like? And when this carries from day-to-day life, it tends to carry easily into situations here. And it also can be in reflection reinforced 
by the fact of, in this case, Yvonne and I, providing some methodology, giving and offering some techniques to use as a resource. But if we place and put too much into them, we'll start to be looking for further methods and techniques to answer and solve each and every personal problem, difficulty and issue that arises in our life. Partly because we've somewhat been um, conditioned, which is a polite word for being brainwashed, into a methodology and a mechanical view of life. And though it might work quite well when we want to fix the car, those of us who know what it is under the uh, under the bonnet, some of us like me have no idea. I can just about find a dipstick. But in some things, one needs a position and a how-to to repair things, to fix things, to make things. But we give its authority much too much. And when we do, it can be at the expense and at the neglect of the significance of exploring and finding what heartfulness is. We have probably had the situation in our uh, life, either coming from within or externally, when and it might be on spiritual matters as much as any other. When somebody has said something, A, B, C, D, E, etc. <laughs> and it can be very, very true and very, very precise. It might be about his or her religion, if the person has one, or about uh, spirituality or practices or meditations or whatever. And we listen to it and what we hear is, yes, that appears as true, that appears as factual, that, uh, that appears as uh, an accurate statement or description. But something in the listening actually disturbs us. And that disturbance can understandably matter a lot to us. And there may be situations which you can recall in your life, as I can in mine, where somebody's saying something, but the attitude that goes with it, the tone of voice, the uh, uh, feelings, um, the position and the self, in this case the ego self, is also at work to such a degree that the actual content of what's being communicated it is accurate, it might be true, it might be necessary and uh, appropriate in terms of the words it's put out, but something else is going along with it, which puts us off. And what's coming out of the heart of the person can matter a great deal more than what the content is what the content is. To use a, 
fairly a fairly simple uh, illustration of what I mean. Um, um, the question of God is always a, a, a an in, for some people an interesting area, for others it has no uh, relevance uh, whatsoever. And we meet somebody who uh, says that uh, he or she is um, an atheist, is a dis- doesn't, believe, doesn't believe in God, and gives all the kind of sound reasons for not believing uh, in, in God, that um, how could there be a loving God uh, and such horror and obscenities that go on on this earth, sometimes in his name, since it's usually put in the masculine. And But the attitude from the person, as the person talks further, begins to sound very self-righteous, arrogant, put-down, dismissing of uh, theistic re- uh, religion, and the tone uh, seems to be one of Dream self-righteousness. Perhaps it may, be, it may be true. Perhaps there is no creator. Perhaps uh, it's a fiction of the human mind. Perhaps God didn't make us in his image. We've made a God in our image. Perhaps all these religious books are just history books. And they've used a religious language. Perhaps it's just full of mythology and in true reality is empty of any truth in it. But the person comes across with such atheistic self-righteousness one just feels pressurised, burdened, etc. And then one meets another human being and she or he says I believe in God I believe that God loves me I believe that we are all uh, children of God. And it gets demonstrated in this person's life through kindness and warmth and care. And genuinely, as there are people in this world, who regard us as all belonging to God's creation, all mattering equally, and therefore contributing through acts of service and kindness um, since we're all children of God, born of God, belong to God, and God created us for whatever motive. It may be a complete fiction of the mind. The person may be basing her or his life on a belief which is simply untrue, that there is no Creator who created this world and made human beings in his quote unquote likeness. But the heart and the way of being in the world kindness, compassion, love, shared equality touches us deeply. We respond to it, yet the outer manifestation is of something which the person believes, which perhaps, let us say, is simply untrue. 
and the so-called atheist, or whatever he or she calls himself, may be precise. The world is formed of conditions, formed of, uh, as the Buddhists would say, law of dependent nature. There is no creator God up in the skies who has created us, etc. May be very precise and accurate in the description of the nature of the world. Tone, attitude, what's coming from the heart, maybe moralistic, self-righteous, aggressive, putting down theists. Which one touches us? Which matters the most? Politically correct heart belief. So this dynamic in life of what touches upon us and what influences us, the element and the factor of heartfulness perhaps might be of greater significance for life on earth than all or some of our accumulated scientific knowledge, our methodologies, our expertise, and all that we pride ourselves in knowing about. Of what use is all of it? If it's at the expense of something deep and profound, which I'm calling heartfulness. But it seems so often this kind of voice is a very much a minority voice. We don't have universities of heartfulness. We have universities of, um, of I nearly said mindfulness, but I don't, don't even have that. <laughs> so heartfulness, the whole way of being, needs to give consideration to what kind of relationship we have in life and therefore the fundamental question ought to be not what I know and what I am pursuing but what opportunity in my day-to-day life and I'm including day-to-day life here presents us with the opportunity to express heartfulness. How would that manifest? A rather, um, perhaps, useful uh, example uh, comes to my mind here as I uh, talk with you. And that is in relationship to a visit that I just made to uh, Israel. And one part of that visit was a uh, three-day period in the uh, occupied uh, territories some people in Israel don't like to use that term anymore I think rather unfortunately I want to use the old biblical names of um, Judea or Samaria as some kind of greater Israel perception and my function during the three day period was to act as a facilitator for a number of uh, Israelis to meet with a number of Palestinians in Nablus, which is uh, one of the main towns of the West Bank, with a population 100 to 150,000 uh, uh, people. And in the past, there have been a number, of course, of uh, meetings of Israelis and uh, Palestinians trying to resolve 
a rather long, terribly long really, history of misunderstanding, conflict and difficulties. And we, that is uh, myself and the Israelis, uh, rented a small uh, bus, went into the occupied uh, territories to this town of uh, um, Nablus. And the Palestinians that we met were uh, members of the FIDA as a political uh, party campaigning amongst Palestinians for democratic uh, uh, rights and institutions. And it was a weekend on the theme, three days on the theme of transformation of suffering. And there's been, for both sides, both communities, Israeli and Palestinian, of course, and still is a tremendous amount of on, ongoing suffering. But what I felt was significant in all of this was the remarkable degree of heartfulness that was being expressed by all of us who come together. And when I mentioned, as an example, as one of the Israelis who had come just a few months ago was shot by a, a Palestinian terrorist in the back by, by a Kalashnikov rifle while sitting one evening in Jerusalem um, having some uh, coffee with uh, friends and they hadn't even taken the able to take the bullets out of him and I saw the huge scar on the area where he was shot. People such as him or a young Daniel, a, a very uh, deeply religious um, uh, Jew who also came, just showing and illustrating some of the concerns and therefore the heartfulness and the risk uh, involved in two handful of members of two communities actually meeting down together sitting as we did in a room about this size, um, in a circle, on, on chairs, morning, afternoon, and until the early uh, evening, about these issues, and then staying in the homes of Palestinians uh, for that period of time. And in all of that, when one listened, and one of the things that struck me from the Palestinian side, that nearly all of those that we met with had served various lengths of time in prison from seven days to 17 years. And one of them, a prison amnesty prisoner of conscience for a 12-year period. People have been very, and still continue to be, very, very politically active, with great uh, concern and, and, and quite some degrees of risk in various ways to themselves. In their experience of prison, at, some, at one time there was up to 15,000 Palestinians in jail, and now down to 6,000, for all manner of reasons, not only those with blood on their hands. That in that period of death, a number, including a number that we had met, some degree of heartfulness had come out of the raw and punishing experience of these periods of time in jail, and had gone from an armed resistance to occupation, in fact, to the, to the nation-state of Israel, to a commitment and a conviction and a campaign for un unarmed resistance, which I think is a, a vital in imperative. And the way that that showed itself for us very much was in this tremendous degree of care, love, warmth and heartfulness that was shown to us while we were there.
and correspondingly uh, my Israeli friends, mostly psychologists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, peace uh, activists, all looking into this conflict together. And I just use it of one of many, many uh, examples in, in life where the label, this case called Israeli-Palestinian, the history, the, the culture, the various ideologies that affect the religion, the political, the economic, all, all of that which can, can so dramatically keep people apart comes together through understanding, through heartfulness. If there's no heart, what's the chance? And this bringing of people together is some kind of expression, I would say, of heartfulness. And even when, on the last day that we were there, in a demonstration on the street in which uh, uh, five minutes walk from where we're staying, and uh, uh, Israeli's military, we don't know what the reasons were, um, opened fire, um, some of the demonstrators were uh, shot dead, others were injured, um, all hell was breaking loose in the town, and I saw again on the news last night, uh, still going on, on there. And so there was some concern there with the tear gas and the machine gun fire that was going on and the hand grenades, the fake hand grenades that used to scare people. All of that drama was going on during this three-day period in the town where we were. At the last period on the day, the Palestinians were understandably quite concerned for our safety in, uh, in all that was occurring. And the care, the love, the support, the protection, at some risk to themselves, I might, uh, might add, just sustained the whole situation all, all the way through. Thus, the differences of labels between people. And as I said to them, the English colonialists um, have their dirty fingerprints all over the Middle East, as anybody who knows the history of the first half of this century. And yet, through and despite all of that, and despite the history of, of all of that, heartfulness working deeply, that it mattered more than the differences. And on that basis, there was tremendous love, tremendous protection, and tremendous uh, support. So that, that ability that we have and we see demonstrated everywhere else, in a way, does need, hopefully, to remind us and to bring us back to fairly basic questions in our own existence. And one of them is, what ways does heartfulness demonstrate in my life? What ways does that show itself? What, what kind of things do I see in myself which actually inhibits that expression? And therefore we come to a, a very active process, really, of self-knowledge and self-understanding there. Spiritual traditions, and, and to its credit, I would say, in the East, have very uh, wisely gone into these things with um, a great deal of um, 
depth of insight. So much so that the way that it's formulated itself is fairly clear about the pillars of spiritual life and how they um, need to manifest in our day-to-day circumstances. And if one takes one of the old um, uh, texts of India, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, I think if I remember rightly, there are about 700 verses, it covers quite comprehensively that the entire range of spiritual life, practices and experiences, and is a, one of those remarkable, um, dare I say, manuals after having what I said before, um, um, testimonies or statements about spiritual life. And, then, and when one's familiar with such a text as with other texts, four pillars, four, in a way, um, unavoidable um, and essential features of what spirituality is. And it's, it's as though the, these texts are saying, and probably does say in very clear and unshakable terms, if you're interested in the spiritual life, if it's not going to be a little appendix to your life, like um, those who uh, do what they want to do for six days a week, and then for an hour a week the person goes to the synagogue, or they go to the church, or to the mosque, or to the Buddhist temple, and kind of religion or spirituality is like a little appendix uh, on, on attached to the main of to living in the real world. If one doesn't want it to be uh, like, like that, then each one of these uh, four unshakable factors, really, of spirituality needs to be addressed. And we need to say, can I say in heart of heart that each one of these really does have a presence and an application in my day-to-day life? And the four, the four of them, and we may have to evaluate in our own experience what the words mean for us, because they do vary. One is devotion. Spiritual life does include, does embrace, and does require devotion. What the second area of spiritual uh, life, there's no hierarchy, it's just four could take them in any order is meditation, which includes mindfulness, awareness, that sense of presence um, to, the, to the here and now, and all that goes with it, the second. The third is service, and that influencing, of course, and affecting our relationship with other people near and far. And the fourth, one might put in a general category, really, of uh, understanding or insight or knowledge which really deeply informs us. Teachings, the talks, of course, are intended to do that. So, with each one of these, what ways does devotion express in my day-to-day life? What ways does meditation, awareness, mindfulness express in my existence? What ways does service express in my existence? What ways does 
wisdom or understanding or the teachings which contribute to that is that occurring and arising in my existence and if one looks at one's life and the fullness of one's day-to-day life from the spiritual standpoint that isn't to be an irregular occurrence in our life that is our life and so quite often in many fields of activity the activity itself if it's a non-harming activity of course the activity doesn't have to change whether one is a a parent at home through the day whether one is a teacher in the classroom whether one is working in a particular field of uh, um, activity or studying a particular whatever it might be or just living one's life without a formal job or unemployed whatever it might be that generally doesn't actually inhibit the opportunity for a truly heart-filled deeply spiritual life why? because one knows and looks at what does devotion mean to me in all of this what does awareness and meditative uh, attention mean to me in all of this what does service mean to me in all this what does understanding wisdom uh, heartfelt wisdom where does that find its way in my day to day life so if we look at our life it might be that we haven't got to change the outer so much but actually look and feel the great nourishment which can come and does come from a genuine attention to each of those four to each of those four and for a number and probably a number of people in the room here when speaking and referring to devotion there one may not have as I don't have any um, interest in devotion in its traditional sense of uh, being a member of a particular religion and then the forms of um, uh, devotion that uh, can go uh, with it even though I notice um, 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 lots of like my friends like um, um, religious um, uh, altars two, two friends that are, as I were staying in Jerusalem and not at all un- uncommon um, they stayed in a friend's place I stayed in their uh, set couple of nights in uh, their bedroom and they had a, a small uh, bookshelf I noticed on top of the uh, uh, bookshelf a, a little uh, few centimet- centimeters high uh, Buddha image and uh, two or three photographs of uh, Tibetan lamas and um, other little bell trinkets and things like, things like that I mean I don't suppose they before they go to bed at night um, start bowing in front of it and might do it didn't ask them etc etc as a, a demonstration or expression of their devotion and I did notice at lunchtime today in Yvonne's room having um, um, my uh, 20 minute nap after lunch as you may have noticed in the small group meeting with her a uh, 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 photograph of a couple of uh, the teachers who uh, Yvonne has much love and respect for um, um, in, her, in her room there 
and I don't, she hasn't told me, but I don't know if she's doing 10,000 prostrations to them. Uh, eh? Oh, yes, she says, oh, yes, okay. yes, this is. Well, <laughs> oh, well, it's confessional time. <laughs> so these are fairly clear senses of, of, of devotion, and some people, through that, that form, do touch upon and do generate a, a devotional place, and religion has served as some kind of vehicle for that. But for others, and I mentioning includes myself, um, bowing down before a lama or a Zen master, having been a, been a monk, is the Eastern equivalent to me of, of a handshake. It has no more or less uh, relevance than that. So, if one says, well, I don't feel devotional in terms of the religious sense, what are you devoted to in life? What ways does devotion express in your, your life? What opportunities do you have for, the, for, for that to come from the heart in, in day-to-day life? So, as I say, those four pillars of spiritual life, something which we need to address. But then we could say, well, being here, sitting on my butt, meditating morning, noon and night, what chance is there for, for service uh, there? Yes, I am listening to teaching, so the fourth one is being fulfilled and reflection and the exploration of understanding, um, but not much chance for service. Um, plenty of chance for meditation, unfortunately, perhaps too much for some people, and, but where is the devotion? Or one might say, in putting it in another way, when I am doing the standing um, meditation, there and just experiencing the contact of my feet with the earth, there and there, what it, where is the heartfulness therein? When I am in, in touch um, with the breath, and connected uh, with the breath and if one is lucky that might be um, between 0.001% of the time and 2% of the entire meditation but in those you know, rare and precious moments that, that it does miraculously occur one may say, what's the service there? and our everyday mind and everyday thought can say, well there uh, how can there be any service when watching the breath? How can there be any um, heartfulness when just being aware of the contact of the feet with the with the ground? How can there how can there be any uh, um, un- under- understanding when just being mindful of um, eating one's lunch? So the everyday mind can quite understandably, in the initial moments, bring in a doubt that one or more or none of these are really present and therefore there isn't really heartfulness present and though we talk particularly in the insight meditation tradition a lot, maybe too much about being mindful about mindfulness and the importance of mindfulness as a, as a, a conscious element of existence but really mindfulness and heartfulness in a way in the best spirit of spiritual teachings are inseparable from each other. If we are mindful, we are heartful. If we are heartful, we are mindful. And so, we might need in our hours and our time here, when we are just 
going through the sitting and the walking and the standing and the eating and listening to teachings or whatever, to regularly check in with ourselves. Which of these pillars is clear at the present time? Which isn't clear? What What are the opportunities for very obvious expression and manifestation through the silence, in fact, and through the stillness of all of these? Or, another way, am I really committed in my life to making sure that all of these four pillars of the spiritual life really do have an ongoing, centralised place in my existence. That, that, that they are the norm of my life. If religion contributes to that, marvellous. If it's a distraction and a diversion, avoid it. So, again, exploring and finding the freedom in our being and acknowledging each one of these and it, um, uh, as an imperative for a, a, a wise and, in the best sense of the word, deeply religious life. Then we must ask ourselves in all of this, but what does it all lead to? What's it all essentially the core of this, essentially all about? And it can be, and it's happened, it's happened enough in history, in, in Buddhism and uh, uh, other teachings and religions, that the pillars, in a way, to use the uh, metaphor that I'm using, can become so significant in that uh, exaggerated way that we concentrate on that to such a degree, cultivating, developing, practicing, working upon, drawing out of ourselves each one of these so that our life is rich in its heartfulness, that we can forget what the essential matter is about. And though it's a great challenge and uh, a tremendous commitment and a great sacrifice in life to enter into the spiritual journey and not to be shaken off it ever by anything for anyone and to stay steady with that. But it's not just to be on the spiritual path and spiritual journey to keep with it. It's for something. It's got a relationship. And that relationship you and I can formulate and describe and put into many, many different ways. But it's what it's for. Just as if you build pillars and you build walls, it's for something. In this case, using that as a metaphor, it's to build a temple or a, or a monastery or whatever. What are these pillars for? What does it reveal? What does it house, so to speak? So to speak? And all that can go into various forms of uh, different uh, uh, language. But essentially, it's for the liberation of a human being. It's cultivated, it's explored, it's developed, it's looked into. For the liberation, for the freedom of the human being a freedom which embraces all this phenomenal, phenomenal existence. 
and that freedom too to be a truly free human being means it's being free unconditionally free and we may have from time to time some relative experiences of that where we might be in a particular environment as an example we might feel a great deal of uh, joyfulness the upsurge of happiness uh, tremendous amount of contentment and in that with ourselves and with each other we say in this situation I was so happy I felt so free and one could feel the manifestation the expression of one's freedom as a human being coming through the heartfulness but of course all too easily and all too often that heartfulness and that feeling of being free is related and therefore conditioned by some event and some would say well you know sometimes when I'm on, re- on retreat I have such a great feeling of peace and, and freedom to be expansive and clear and open with life etc etc and others will say well in the, in the nature or, or in a lovely setting or with being with people that I love oh, oh what indoors or outdoors I said, oh this is a freedom which I feel and this feeling of it comes through it shows itself in a tangible way through the heart but so often and so easily it's dependent upon the situation what is that freedom in life which is the essence of spiritual life the the highest thing of spiritual life what is that freedom which is unconditioned meaning it's not dependent on the surrounding conditions thus such a one who knows that freedom realizes that freedom that freedom is such that the freedom and the feeling of it is the normal experience of everyday life it's normative it's not something which has just arisen in a particular place at a particular time due to supportive and helpful conditions it's unconditioned meaning it doesn't require anything it's the norm of the day the norm of life know, feel, experience that freedom which is unconditioned and the unconditioned is what we are here to see realize and know unshakably the unconditioned to realize the unconditioned and as I said (coughs) the heartfulness factor with mindfulness and awareness with those four pillars that I just referred to all, all of that is as it were the instrument we might call it the, the vehicle to know that great freedom of a human being and it pays the, not only the greatest respect to ourselves of course but also and equally the greatest respect to others as well because in in and with that freedom we're not suffering we're not clinging dependent obsessive neurotic and not caught up in all the problems that it creates so look in our time and days here 
tremendous care and attention to the manifestations of heartfulness when sitting and walking in silence, in stillness, in the meditation room, in the small group, in the teachings, and uh, trusting in that process as much as we can because of the wisdom and the intelligence of it. What for? To realize the unconditioned. What for? To realize liberation. What for? To discover an enlightened life because that's the best. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with heartfulness. May all beings be free. So let's have our couple of <coughs> silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.